This episode of Market Foolery is supported by Wonder Capital, the easiest way to invest in large-scale solar energy projects across the U.S. With Wonder, you can help finance renewable energy projects while earning up to seven and a half percent annually. To get started, visit wondercapital.com/fool. Wonder Capital, where impact investing meets capitalism. It's Tuesday, February thirteenth. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Asset Management, Bill Barker. Happy Valentine's Day Eve. Thank you. Like me, I'm assuming you've done absolutely nothing in preparation for tomorrow. Uh, I have thought about it, <laughs> so I have done more than you. Um, this is the intro. This is your first point. Like ah, I've said the word Valentine's Day. That that was uh, the beginning of your thinking about it. That pretty much, yeah. Like right here, yeah. Plus, we just uh, before we started taping, did uh, you and I and uh, producer Dan Boyd, we did a good solid fifteen minutes on the Winter Olympics, and we got that out of the way, so we we can get to actual business so we news are today. On topic today. We're on topic. If you came listening for tangents, I'm sorry. Turn around. There, yeah, we're, we're, we're all done with today. Um, we're going to get into uh, a very interesting story. I promise you, involving dental supply companies. Just trust me. Just trust me on this one. Uh, we got to start though with Under Armour, which apparently is still alive as a public company. Fourth quarter revenue for Under Armour looked really strong outside of this continent. North America, not so great. The rest of the planet looked strong enough that shares of Under Armour were up 17% this morning. Yeah, and I think that when you're looking at the one-day stock movement, you've got to ask a five percent increase in sales, which I think was the total across everything, translating into a 17, 18 percent stock price move. Really, what's going on there is that this was this is a heavily shorted stock, and I think you're seeing a lot of short covering as part of that. But it was the first good news of any stripe. That the company has really produced in a quarterly fashion for a long time. When you look at the comments from company management, um, and maybe it's the fact that Under Armour—I mean, as you said, this is really—it's been two years or so that this that this company has had anything to celebrate. Do you get the sense that Kevin Plank is? What's the word I want to use here? Chastened? Do you think he's chastened enough? Do you think that that the results of the stock and the business have been so bad for so long that he looks around and says, "You know what? We just got to stick to our knitting. We got to put aside any thoughts of anything other than just delivery, delivery, delivery." Well, I don't know what's in his head, but I think that humility is something that the market wants to see rather than aggression. I think the pursuit of growth and the self-assurance that the company would achieve this growth has been its undoing. And I think that the bottom line has become much more important than the top line for this company. And it's got to continue. Maybe it has started to rationalize some of its cost structure, but I think it's got a long way to go on that. It can produce a lot of returns for shareholders if it were to approximate its competitors in terms of efficiency. It's not there. 
Uh, it has hopefully bottomed out, but uh, in terms of just the, the margin pressure. But uh, I think that, as you indicate, whether he is chastened uh, or not, I couldn't speculate on. But uh, I think he needs to be to uh, recognize that the, it's not all about growth, it's about uh, profits. Last thing before we move on uh, Adidas is a company based outside the United States, that has done a very good job, I would say, particularly over the last five years, of making significant inroads into North America in terms of sales. Obviously, Under Armour wants to do well in North America. Obviously, they, they're not happy with the fact that sales dropped year over year in terms of their Q4 results. That being said, can they make inroads? Can they essentially follow the reverse playbook of Adidas? And if they can get things right in North America, can they? Is that sort of one of the key drivers of growth for them? Is international sales? Well, international growth was forty-seven percent, and that's a number that you're going to be paying attention to if you're an investor, if you're in management, if you're anybody. Forty-seven percent growth. Hey, something's going right there, and it's a big market. The rest of the world, right, <laughs> turns out to be a big market, and you know, it's certainly the bulk of its sales are in North America, and off four percent for the quarter is a problem, uh, but a problem that is feels addressable. Four uh, percent is a manageable number, uh, and obviously, it doesn't have the same traction in terms of its brand power abroad that it has here. I don't know. In your case, your son wearing Under Armour all the time? Uh, a decent amount, but but he's he has no brand loyalty. It has. He's been... a twelve-year-old boy. <laughs> well, I know, but they're driving the purchasing decisions. They're they're going when they're. Taken out to get clothes, right? I mean, he's got some input. If everybody in his grade is wearing Under Armour all the time, which I think at least was the case, and I would just from eyeball experience in my own house say that I see less Under Armour on my son than I used to. Uh, and I don't know if that's because he's uh, just been given other clothes <laughs> by, by mom, has, has directed that in some fashion, uh, or whether it's a little less of uh, you know the uniform today than, than it was a couple of years ago. Let's move on to a company that's uh, definitely not a household name, Amerisource Bergen. Let's do that again. Amerisource Bergen is the name of the company. It's a drug distributor. Walgreens owns about 26% of this company. And it turns out that Walgreens is at least mildly interested in owning more of it because Walgreens has initiated talks to either acquire a majority stake or maybe the whole thing outright. And shares of Amerisource Bergen are up today pretty significantly, 10% at one point that I saw this morning. Walgreens seems like a company that has a lot of irons in a lot of fires. So, with respect to this particular fire, when you look at this move, do you think this makes sense for Walgreens? Yeah, I think that it's not that much of a strategic move. Marisource Burgeon already provides all the drugs. I think they're the sole supplier for Walgreens. And so they've already got a great working relationship that has been effective and that they're happy with, and so now it's talking about cost efficiencies and getting sort of more vertical integration. You see 
this occurring in a number of ways. Um, behind every story nowadays um, lies Amazon, and that's true <laughs> yes. in this case. Uh, Amazon's uh, inroads um, into talking about getting into the, the pharmacy space, into its strategic uh, proposed alliance with uh, Berkshire and J.P. Morgan. Uh, everybody is there's a complex chess game going on, and uh, this is one of the ways that Walgreens, have, uh, reportedly, we don't really know. It's it's reported by the Wall Street Journal, so I think we can have a reasonable amount of confidence that these talks are going on. Uh, but th this is not something that the company is putting out there. So I I think that is part it's part defense. Um, but also, it can uh, operate uh, more efficiently together than apart. Well, in in the case of Walgreens, they're not just playing defense against Amazon; they're also playing it against CVS. Yes, uh, and so CVS in the proposed merger with Aetna, that's a little bit different. Uh, I mean, the supply chain uh, in the pharmacy market with a. a Pharmacy benefit managers and the wholesalers, you know, and the uh, the hospitals and the insurers. A lot of different ways that you can combine these things to get more efficient. Um, CVS is uh, getting back into the pharmacy benefit managing space. Uh, there are a lot of different things you can do, and this is one of the ones that uh, Walgreens uh, looks like it's interested in, and it seems to make economic sense in that there's, I think, maybe 500 million or so in, in synergies uh, that you can produce, or at least that's some of the um, reporting or analysis that I've read. Uh, that's real money. Wouldn't it be great if just once a large company acquired another company and just said it from the outset, no, there are no synergies here. We just want this. How much do you think you're going to save in synergies? Nothing. Absolutely not. Just once, I would love that to happen. Like, nope, we just wanted to buy this thing. Negative. <laughs> the whole thing's getting more expensive, but more fun. I, that is what in, in empire building happens a lot. Uh, is is lack company, of synergies? Lack of synergies. Uh, companies that just want to get bigger. Uh, rather than get bigger for the right reasons, which is to reward shareholders. But if you're getting bigger to reward management, if management's incentives are based on the number, the amount of revenues, as an absolute figure rather than sort of revenues per share or you know what what the uh, ultimate profits are going to be, that's driven lots and lots and lots of acquisitions. I think of I don't know when when. Uh, Sony was owned by Coke or or where Columbia was Columbia Pictures Columbia Pictures yeah Coca Cola owned a movie studio because yeah. of course let's go back and review <laughs> what they said about the synergies available from that combination well you go to the movie theater now maybe you could order some Coke whereas before <laughs> there was no way there, to <laughs> there was no way to get Coke at a movie theater not that the theaters uh, are actually the entity because it's the movies being shown at the theaters but you could I guess product placement. Maybe that was the thing. I don't know. What were the synergies there? That was probably it. That was probably the full extent product of it. placement. Um, we're going to go back to health in just a second, but first, I want to say thanks to Wonder Capital. The easiest way to invest in large scale solar energy projects across the United States. Bloomberg New Energy Finance estimates that $2.8 trillion is going to be invested in solar energy by the year 2040. $2.8 trillion. That, that is some serious cake right there. 
And with Wonder Capital's solar investment platform, investors can now take advantage of this economic opportunity. Individuals like you have already financed more than 150 large-scale solar projects. These projects create enough electricity to power the equivalent of 5,000 homes, which helps offset almost 75 million pounds of carbon dioxide emissions every year. To learn more, visit wondercapital.com slash fool. That's wonder with a U, W-U-N-D-E-R, wondercapital.com slash fool, and find out how you can begin investing in solar energy projects while earning up to 7.5% annually, and also helping in the fight against climate change. wondercapital.com slash fool, wondercapital, where impact investing meets capitalism. Two companies I've never heard of before today, Patterson and Henry Schein. Uh, these are both dental supply companies, and the Federal Trade Commission has accused them of violating antitrust laws. Actually, the two of them and a third company called Benco Dental Supply, which is a private company. And if Benco were a public company like Patterson and Henry Schein, its stock would be dropping today, like both of those are. Uh, the FTC has accused these companies of um, conspiring to. I love any time. Uncle Sam comes in with some version of the word conspire. I'm reading that. St- I'm interested. You've you've got me. You had me at conspire, conspiring to refuse discounts to dentists buying groups. And uh, I don't know about Patterson. I saw Henry Schein uh, came out and issued a statement vehemently denying these charges. Um, but investors, at least today. Are siding with the FTC, or at least saying, you know what? I don't think I want any part of this because both stocks down pretty big today. Yeah, it's been a bad series the last six months or so for the dental suppliers. With, of course, Amazon as part of their story. Amazon getting into the space reputedly in a bigger way to supply some of the smaller parts of, I think, the dental supply business. But it's, I'm surprised that you've never heard of Patterson. Or let me just say, the next time you're in a dentist's office, you will probably notice that there is Patterson branding and equipment all over the place because they are huge in that market and there's just littered with with their products. And so the smaller dentists want to be able to go to uh, group together and use buying power as a you know uh, combined entity and and get some better prices. And the allegation here, the accusation is that uh, you know there are recordings or not recordings that they have conversations between uh, members of these companies agreeing not to, not to participate in this, not to cut their prices to supply uh, suppliers with uh, lower prices so that they can then help out the smaller dental, dental and, operations. And these three companies, just for the sake of context, these three companies control somewhere in the neighborhood of 85% of the total market, which, of course, is one more reason that Amazon would want to get in on that. Yeah. So, Amazon, uh, again, has, has already got uh, some some space here. There's a lot of room for them to grow. Obviously, if 85% of the market is controlled by these uh, other entities, and uh, you know, usually you make money by betting on Amazon and against Amazon's um, roadkill. <laughs> uh, so, uh, 
I don't know that that is uh, a, that there's a direct line in this case, uh, but I think Amazon is in the shadows. But in terms of look, we talk about investing in market leaders all the time, regardless of industry. These are the market leaders. Henry Schein, that stock is hitting a four-year low today. Patterson, that stock is hitting a nine-year low. So, if you step back and think, okay, I get that Amazon has the capacity to move into this market, they're not going to do it overnight, and they're not going to do it in the next 12 months. So, when you look at these two stocks trading at multi-year lows, do you think, yeah, this, this might be a buy-on-the-dip situation? I've been watching Patterson for a while. It's been on a watch list, and it just keeps you know you keep looking at at the past and saying, well, you know, if if it, if the future looks a little bit like the past, this thing is getting getting awfully cheap. And I gotta say, I haven't been able to move from that conclusion for a while. Uh, and and the past just does not look as rosy. Uh, sorry, the the future does not look as rosy as the past. And so compounding out. Previous growth rates uh, has gotten you investors to the wrong place with Patterson for a while. I can't comment uh, as much on Henry Schein, but it's really you know pretty pretty similar operation, and uh, they're uh, used to doing business uh, in a certain way, and that way is changing. And whether they can uh, compete, you know, the federal government is alleging that they're one of their ways of trying to compete is illegal. Uh, and they'll have their day in court. There's a day scheduled for October, um, and they'll uh, in between now and then uh, continue. They're not even there's no no fine um, that is being pursued. I believe at the moment, just they stop this practice, and so we'll see whether there's an agreement that is reached before uh, they actually get into court. Did you want to talk about L.L. Bean or no? No, you wanted to talk no. about LLB. No, you were emailing me last week about it. You, know what you we... already knew everything about it. You, were, you had already uh, probably gotten 18 tweets about it from uh, Mainnet or whatever the, your user group is. We'll, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, first, uh, quick story from San Francisco. And I think, I think longtime listeners in particular, and when I say longtime, I mean really longtime listeners will appreciate this story. So we, I mentioned we had this great meetup in San Francisco. Uh, with podcast listeners, we had about 30, 35 people show up. It was it was wonderful. And by the way, we're uh, we're going back to South by Southwest this year. So in March, we're going to be doing a meetup in Austin, Texas, and uh, we're already talking about doing a, a listener meetup here in the DC area later this spring as well. So so more details to come on both of those. But anyway, so we started podcasting here at the Motley Fool in two thousand nine, and. In the spring of 2009, one of the biggest public companies, Cisco Systems, announced an acquisition. And Cisco Systems, like a lot of big tech companies, not named Apple, has done lots of acquisitions over the years. This was kind of eye-opening because this was Cisco Systems buying Flipcam. Do you remember this? Sure. The Flip Camera, which they bought for $600 million. And it just seemed like among the more baffling Look, Cisco is sitting on piles and piles of cash, so they've got the money. But just from a business standpoint, this was one that we talked about repeatedly on Motley Fool Money and again on Market Foolery, and it would come up years later as an example of companies making acquisitions, and and it 
in some ways became the go-to sort of quick thumbnail sketch example of, oh, do we think this acquisition is, is going to pay off for this company, or is this going to be like Cisco Systems buying Flipcam? Because they, they paid $600 million, and then two years later, they shut the whole thing down and wrote it off. So, fast forward to last week, we're at the listener meetup, and a guy comes up to me, and he's holding a small paperback and introduces himself. And he says, uh, I, have, I have a present for you. And I was like, oh, that's wonderful. And he takes, and I'm holding it now, which of course no one can see, but I'll t- tweet out a picture of this. He hands me a flip cam, a flip video with the Cisco logo on it. And he says, I've been a listener pretty much since you guys started, and I wanted to give you this because I used to work at Cisco Systems, and I was the guy who did this deal. And for a split second, I thought he was going to take a swing at me, <laughs> just because I thought, "Oh my God, like, are you going to hit me with this?" No, he couldn't have been nicer. And um, but it was just amazing that he was just, and he sort of went into and provided. By the way, he provided some background on why they did the deal. That when he provided that context, I thought. Boy, I don't recall ever like one that makes sense, and I get how this could potentially fit into a larger strategy. And two, I don't ever recall John Chambers, the CEO, providing that level of context because if he had, I might not have been so rough on them. But anyway, yeah, well, it probably was less uh, something that John Chambers was focused on uh, in in terms of the size of the issues that he was dealing with. Uh, I suppose uh, to go into that detail, but it, it's possible. Uh, are you going to use that? Uh, I think I have to. I think I want to at least give it a shot. But um, but yeah. I'm, I'm not great with the technology, but it seems you know it seems like it's an easy device to use. Hand it to your kids, let them figure it out. There you go, even better. Um, so yeah, so last week LL Bean, uh, one of the most beloved private companies in America, many people are saying this. Um, uh, it's no Wawa. <laughs> it's on, it's on the short list probably. No, uh, it, LL Bean made headlines because they changed a long-standing policy, which was which had to do with. Um, bringing back their products, and in, and in particular, their signature LL Bean boots. And the policy was lifetime guarantee. Hey, we, we stand by these boots, and, and you know if, if they're defective, if you have a problem with them, bring them back. We'll fix it, or we'll replace it. And not surprisingly, over the last five to ten years, a small number of people just abused the hell out of that policy. And so, LL Bean said, we're changing this. We're just... We're going to cut because people would wear these boots for decades, and then when they're completely worn out, they would come back and say, "Hey, I bought these in 1974, and now uh, they're all beat up. So I'd like a new pair." And um, good, good on LL Bean for saying, ah, "We're going to change this policy." Yeah, I've just run a search, and the third thing that comes up, the third headline that comes up for my search. Uh, is L.L. Bean ended its lifetime guarantee because a few jerks ruined it. Yes. Which I think is the whole story. It is absolutely the whole story. And um, I, I have to credit um, our colleague Mark Brooks, who, uh, who tweeted out this story last week and um, in, included sort of the, you know, yes, this is about L.L. Bean, but just if you are. <laughs> if you are involved in any business that deals with customers, of any size or stripe, 
Uh, and I'll just quote Mark uh, from his tweet: "Fire abusive customers. If you are changing policies that make you wildly popular with your core to account for your fringe, you're doing it wrong." Yeah, if I can uh, promote a uh, not really a rival podcast, just another podcast. This American Life did a great uh, segment on uh, the LLB return policy a couple of years ago uh, on an episode called uh, "Get Your Money's Worth," and and it's uh, uh, as as all their episodes are a great great one. And um, if you're more interested in that, you can hear 20 minutes on it. You don't want to hear 20 minutes on that from us. Not from us. No. no. Send me the link to that, and I'll I'll put that out on the market full But I mean, while we're because the... you know you know what this American life needs more promotion, more listeners, <laughs> more listeners. But while <laughs> it's we're on the... the most listened podcast, but you know what we'll 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 help them out with a couple more. While we're on the topic of uh, obscure main, we're done uh, with business companies. now, right? Are we done with business? People sort of. Oh, okay. I mean, LL Bean's a business. That's true. Uh, Moxie is one of these things that is unknown to the rest of the country, uh, but is apparently required the, that all Maine residents uh, use. Can you tell me something about this? So, Moxie is a beverage that I think only people in the state of Maine drink because why? why why anyone outside the state would look. There are plenty of reasons to go to Maine to visit Maine. There are plenty of things about Maine that are highly enjoyable. Moxie is one of those things that rightfully residents of the other 49 states, and for that matter, every other country on the planet, look at people from Maine and say, oh, "What? What is that?" Moxie. The way I always describe Moxie is Moxie is like Coca-Cola. If you removed any sort of sweetness from it, yeah, it's it's a slightly bitter carbonated non-alcoholic beverage. Does it taste like medicine? Because it originally was marketed as medicine, and and I'm going to the reason why somebody might drink it is if the original claims for it were true, because its creator stated, and I'm taking this from the Wikipedia page, that it was especially effective against. Paralysis, softening of the brain, nervousness, and insomnia. So, <laughs> I mean, it's a pretty comprehensive for a soda. That's pretty comprehensive work that it can do. That that's true. I am. Um, I don't. I don't know that it does any of those things. I don't think it helps in with regard to any of those things. I, the only way it helps is if somewhere you want to be able to say, "Oh yeah, I've tried that." If you're someone who has a culinary bucket list and you're just looking to check things off like, "Yes, I've eaten that. Yes, I've drank that before." Yeah, sure, you can get your hands on a bottle of Moxie and and have a couple of sips of that, but it's not going to taste good. Citizens of Maine, Chris is ready to take your angry emails. <laughs> About how the beloved Moxie is delicious, and uh, it's just unfortunate that you can't get it anywhere else in the country. I don't know anyone, and maybe there are people in Maine, but I don't know anyone who looks at Moxie and says, "Oh yeah, no, it tastes great." I mean, what do you uh, drink it out of spite? I mean, what what is it? Uh, I don't know. Just just because just you're used to part it, part of our culture, we have to. It's uh, like I don't know, lutefisk or something. I mean, if, uh, what's lutefisk? Lutefisk is uh, isn't that uh, what they eat and uh, supposedly eat in Minnesota and Wisconsin, and it's some sort of uh, regional thing that doesn't travel at all. Okay, it's like dried fish or I don't know. Maybe 
you know what? We'll get some of those folks together with some people from Maine, and that's that's your meal right there. Some loot fisk and uh, wash it down with a, a nice warm bottle of Moxie. Sure. You can read more from Bill Barker and his colleagues, not about Moxie and not about loot fisk, but about actual investing stuff. You can go to foolfunds.com to hear more from Bill Barker, Brian Hinman, the whole crew at Molly Fool Asset Loot, Management. Lootfisk is a gelatinous uh, gelatinous uh, thing made from fish. <laughs> Boy, it's almost hard to believe you didn't get that salesman job. <laughs> Thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Forward. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.